Well, hello there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. Caray on Caldazar, Maureen said. They all twisted to stare at her. Caray on Alessande. Al Alessande for the honor of the Red Eagle, for the honor of the Rose of the Sun. The Rose of the Sun, the ancient war cry of Menethrin, the war cry of its last king. Moraine, Chapter 18, Eye of the World. Beautiful. Did you want to do it again or did you feel solid? I feel good about it. Okay, cool. Then let's move forward. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my friend Tracy. I'm here with my friend Amber. And this is the Road to Tarvalin, a Wheel of Time podcast. We are back again with another Westlands 101 topic. If you are new, that means the first half will be spoiler free. And after the break, proceed at your own risk. And today we are covering our first nation of the 101 series. So... Sit back and let us regale you the tale of Manetherin. <laughs> Actually, we're not going to say, like, you know, we're not going to do the whole Moraine bit. We're not going to read that out. We're kind of going to do more of, like, a historical history mm -hmm. approach. Yeah. But, but for if anybody... You do, yeah, yeah. If you do want to <laughs> be really regaled with the tale of Manetherin... Go watch uh, Recap a Sedai's rendition yes. because yes. it's it's, it's done with little Lego people, <laughs> and somehow it's still like pulls it's better. In. Yeah, <laughs> like you still feel like the gravity of the battle and everything with these little minifigs, and I kind of just love it. It was one of the things that like really sealed enjoying watching Rakappa and laughing so hard at those videos. Mm. They're so good. She's really doing the creator's work. I'll <laughs> tell you what. <laughs> mm -hmm. Indeed. So as for like the history of Minetherin, it's known as the mountain home in the old tongue. And we're going to kind of break down that section of the world into like before and after the breaking of the world. Is that right? Yeah. So basically... Before the breaking of the world, um, <laughs> like Minutherin would have pretty much been underwater. So there's not really a lot to say for it. But, I didn't know that, though. Like, yeah. I thought that was a really cool thing to pull in because, I mean, that does happen all the time in the world where, like, people go up to the top of mountains and they find ocean life that's been fossilized in it to show like how the world has broken and pulled apart and mm -hmm. whatnot and so i just i thought that was so cool so i'm glad volcanoes that... tectonic plates right only Everything's in this shifting. case it was that damned loose theron <laughs> <laughs> and all those poor male channelers yeah. yeah so we've talked a little bit about the breaking of the world in the sidene episode mm-hmm Basically, when the breaking happened, the mountains of the mist that you hear about when you're first reading Eye of the World, mm -hmm. those kind of broke from the ground. Oh, my God, a crow just like, almost ran into my window. 
dark friends. <laughs> the shadow was so intense, it scared me. Um, Be gone, Shadow Spawn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is the drawbacks of like being in the top floor right now. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes it's pigeons, sometimes it's dark friends or shadow spawn. Yeah. Anyways, so the mountains of mist rose up from the breaking, and this kind of created a barrier to one of the sides of what Menethrin would be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, the mountains rose up, washed the ocean away, and then you've got Menethrin now. And this is kind yeah. of, this is what, circa... When was it, 100 years post-breaking? I Hold think on. that's right. I know we've got a timeline a little further down where we'll kind of go over. Okay. Because when 209 we were- after the breaking. So okay. Roughly 209 years after the breaking is when Menethrin was founded. Mm-hmm. So this was a pretty restful place for people looking for safety and stability after the breaking of the world. And... I see that you have added this part. Would you like to read about a sovereign power? So eventually, in this particular area, a sovereign power began to emerge during the first century after the breaking, and a ruling class of nobility was developed. And I kind of... I kind of like paused to think about why that would happen, because you have this group of people, and everything seems to be getting better but at the same time there's also a power vacuum you know if no one's like at the top people are obviously going to eventually fight for it but the other thing about that is also people crave stability and leadership I mean I think that's something that we go through even now in modern days so it really just kind of makes sense that that noble line would develop especially in the face of like many of the really real dangers that people were facing at this time and i mean this is still only a century or so after the breaking of the world maybe two and so 200 years is a long time but it is still close enough in time to kind of remember how bad things were before there was peace and stability so like that reinforces the need for overseeing government in some way and this is the way that they chose to do it no republics in (laughs) menethrin well i mean can you imagine like living in a world where there are like these creatures that keep popping their heads up like Mm -hmm. whack-a-mole like every time you take down you know every time there's a battle and you think okay like everything's gonna be good for a while Mm -hmm. then there's a trollic war or there's a Per- people war and yeah. boundary disputes. So, yeah. Yeah. It just kind of makes sense in order to like find peace to create people that would like work for the benefit of the people that they oversaw. Hopefully, you know, that's always the hope when it comes to government. Um, and then Menethrin was one of the 10 nations that came to prominence after the breaking of the world. Um, and each of these 10 nations possessed roughly equal powers in the Westlands. Yeah. And it almost looks like, too, you know, these nations were much bigger mm-hmm. than what we mm-hmm. see during Eye of the World. So, like, Menethrin was big. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just, you know, where the two rivers used to be. Mm-hmm. It was a very large nation. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. 
And to have like these 10 nations be roughly equal powers, but they weren't equal in size, were they? Some like, well, some, yeah, there's, there's, I've looked, I looked at a map earlier and mm -hmm. <laughs> the map is great, but the one that I looked at didn't have like the actual borders drawn on. It was just like a name over an area. Mm -hmm. So I'm not exactly sure, but from the way that they're spaced out, it doesn't look like any of them had a giant majority of space over some of the others. I mean, it's possible. Look I was just kind later. of curious if it's like, yeah. I always am kind of surprised. I don't know why I always think that the two rivers slash Menethrin was more inland than it was. Like mm -hmm. when I finally yeah. started like Same. looking at maps and stuff and seeing that like just a, it's it's like living in Bend, Oregon and driving over the mountains to get to like Portland. Coast. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what it looks like. And I was like, oh, I didn't really realize it was all like so close to that. So post the breaking of the world, there was justifiable fear that dark friends and shadow spawn could move in force from the blight and attack the people living in the land below. And while there was an overarching need to recognize that they were stronger together, there were still those who refused to grant sovereignty to anyone other than themselves. And another part of the need for this pact came from the fact that these nations were always battling and pushing to expand their borders. So people are like, this is my land. No, this is my land. Mm -hmm. No, this is my land. You want to fight for it? And they're like, yeah, I do. So yeah, and this is like this is very early history of this world. So mm -hmm. I mean, this is like the the birth of pretty much the nations. Yeah, before they get broken again, mm -hmm. or really unified, because Arthur yeah, it's Arthur a good point. <laughs> comes later and unifies, and mm -hmm. then he leaves or whatever dies. He dies, and then everything kind of falls apart and becomes. That's when things kind of become the nations that we know now i think i always get confused on the timelines i'm not gonna lie <laughs> timeline is brutal it's a it's a crazy one after the breaking the free years the new era like come on why so many why so many anyway um so there's a defense pact. The compact of, of the 10 nations was put in place to come together should the need to fight against the shadow emerge. The only other nation in this episode that, that's like important is Aerodol. So we won't really get into like all of the 10 nations today. Um, just know that they were there doing their thing and part of this pact. And I, I know I wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the pact was pushed for most by Queen, we just talked about her last week, Mabriam Ansharid of Aramel, and she was an Aes Sedai of the Grey Aja, but she, like, worked to unify the nations, and so some people kind of think as though, like, this might have been a maneuvering of the White Tower to make this pact happen, mm -hmm. but when we were talking last week about Taviran, there's also a like I don't know if it's a confirmed theory or not. Did we ever figure that out? If it was a confirmed theory? Yeah. Shrug. I think it I think it could be either or. I agree. Um but it is supposed that she may have been Taviran and that's why they were able to 
or why she was able to put this pact in place. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering, like, at this point, have people stopped living like these crazy long lives? You know, are they are they living for hundreds of years? Because before the breaking, well, if you're an Aes Sedai, then yeah. But what about like just regular people? Like, did regular people during the breaking or before, like during the Age of Legends, did regular people have really long lives, or was it just people who could touch the one power? I would imagine it's just the people that can channel. Okay, I was just kind of curious because I never really like put it together that maybe it was everybody until I started kind of looking at this one. But it would be really interesting to think about this one because we've talked about it before, like a woman who's Aes Sedai ruling her lifespan. What does that mean for the ruling of a kingdom? Right. So, I mean, I'm sure if she kicks ass and she's great, then people are like, okay, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> I can't see that being like a thing for the majority of the time yeah i wouldn't want that right like i think i would get to like a couple decades maybe and be like you know what somebody else can do this (laughs) (laughs) this is for the birds i I mean even for myself if i could live that long i wouldn't want to do it for that i wouldn't want to be queen for that long i want to you know travel what's 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 on the other side of the ocean (laughs) But yeah, so um, another thing is that you kind of want to think about what's the appeal of the people living in these nations. Mm -hmm. And for for Manetheran, I think the first thing that stands out to me is just how beautiful the city is. And it's like, this is one of the things that we hear time and time again. It's like the beautiful Ogier built city of Manetheran. And even when... Someone's talking about Tarvalin, you get to hear like, okay, it's ogre, Ogier built. So mm-hmm. what does that mean? And everyone's just saying like how stunning it is to look at. And mm-hmm. with Manetheran itself, like the castle was kind of like jutting out of the mountains of mist. So you get this really cool kind of visual in your head. Mm-hmm. And during its golden age, the city was said to be so beautiful that Ogier from all over the world would make a journey just to come and stare at it, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is really that cute. Sounds, yeah, that sounds so <laughs> Ogier, right? Like, yeah. Huh. I, I can live for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, so I could stand here and look at this building for a day or two. Like, I yeah. could just... <laughs> <laughs> and I totally get that. I am architecture obsessed. Like I mm-hmm. love beautiful buildings and just the whole idea of the things that the Ogier have built throughout the series. I'm like, is there mm-hmm. is there anything close to that in the real world or is this all just like I full think on of fantasy? Like, yeah, for me like I think of what is it? The um where some of the Native Americans had built, like, these Mm. homes, like, in the side of, like, Mm -hmm. rock walls and stuff like that. Or what is it? Is it in Jordan where there's that big... um, Mm -hmm. Petra. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Think of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So stuff that was just, like, very architecturally uh different than to you know like maybe a big gothic church or something but 
That's actually really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> I like, I love, like Petra's one of those places where I'm like, man, I bet that place gets way too many tourists and it's probably so hot I would hate it. But damn, I want to go. <laughs> right? Oh, it'd be so Yeah, cool. or like Angkor Wat or something. Oh my like, God, for sure. You know, like <sighs> cool stuff like that. Yeah. That's kind of like what I think of. But I kind of get this like Rivendale... Mm-hmm. you know, Tolkien-esque vibe from it. You know, there's waterfalls and mountains and all this stunning masonry. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. And you had all you had put in here, there's also a way gate in Minethrin. So mm-hmm. that's another good plus, too. You got to have that easy travel. Got to yeah. hop on the way gate subway. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, this is before the way gate started to turn the way that they do later on. And I actually mm-hmm. kind of looked that up because – I didn't know exactly how long they had the Waygates because weren't they a gift from the men who could channel? Is that right? Like, I think that they built them. To be to honest, say thank I you. have no idea. Okay. What maybe. can I say besides you're welcome? <laughs> Is that how the song goes? I don't know. I don't know that song. Okay. Um. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really great that they have this, this way gate that allows them to safely travel and quickly travel to see the, the many, many beautiful places. So, um, and then since we're still going on about what makes it like a nice place to live for these people, Mm -hmm. it's a mining hotspot. So because of the mountain range that's been under the ocean, Mm-hmm. There was a lot of minerals and ores, so mm-hmm. this would help build the wealth of mm-hmm. these people living there. Which would allow them to hire Ogier Masons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everything is like a mm-hmm. like a domino effect. We find this, this mm-hmm. happens, this happens. And, and then you ha- – oh, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, like, in addition, in addition to, like, the ground underground treasures, uh, the land was really fertile and ideal for farming. And also for that same reason, it's just really mineral-dense land. Yeah, and another thing that I was thinking of that I didn't add on here is all of the rivers. So when you mm. are producing, you know, all of these – goods for farming or mining you want to be set up for trade and mm-hmm. if you're on a waterway mm. then perfect you're right so i hadn't even thought about that yeah, there's that and then I, this is just a guess for me but like geological protection mm-hmm. so if you've got the mountains of mist on one side and then rivers like that create natural boundaries You've got a better sense of protection, I feel like. And we know Trollocs don't like water, so suck on that, Trollocs. (laughs) (laughs) I would think that that would be a huge draw considering all the things, you know, like the fear of Shadowspawn descending from the Blight at any given moment. I think if I were surrounded by rivers and mountains, I'd probably feel a little safer than like some place that was just like <laughs> an open, wide open yeah. field or something. Yeah. yeah. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. And then the next thing that we wanted to talk about was just kind of like why Minethrin, like why were they so powerful? What mm-hmm. what is it about this place? And you had mentioned earlier just the ruling class. They seem so- they seem to like actually I mean, we don't know a whole lot about this, but just from the little that we read, they do seem to be 
looking out for the best for their people, you know, like there's almost this utopian feel in some ways around the, the cities that are built in this compact of the 10 nations and like, it almost feels as though they're trying to get back to where things were in the age of legends. And Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know. I, the ruling class seems to really help with that and have that in mind that and another thing like this (laughs) I had to laugh at this because this is the first time that I'm bringing up like anything really about the band of the red hand but Mm -hmm. like the band of the red hand is from Minethrin and I'm hype about it so Mm -hmm. they essentially had like the most badass army in the world in this world and they're super famous too. So mm-hmm. can you imagine like all of these blade masters and heroes and they're kind of just like these rock stars of the mm-hmm. era. Yeah. So, you know, just think if you're like the fifth son and you didn't mm-hmm. inherit anything or maybe didn't want to be a farmer, but you could swing a sword, you're like, well, I'm heading to Manetheran and I'm joining this, <laughs> this you know. Band. band yeah yeah so and it's just kind of like you know people sing songs about them they mm-hmm. are legendary and people call them the sword that cannot be broken so mm-hmm. they were just kind of you know they were badasses yeah it's a uh, i don't know i like that part because i like the military aspects of this series and to have like this great I don't, well, I mean, it doesn't really give us a size on it, but to have this super impressive force, like, didn't people, like, come so that they could train with them specifically because they were such good blade masters and yeah. stuff? Yeah. yeah, people from, like, all over was just like, all right, like, don't want to be a farmer, joining the band of the Red Hand, <laughs> see ya. Like, yeah, and then, and the, then next, the next thing we have is Wealth and Trade, which, which I think we've we talked kind about of, a little. Yeah, like, we have, we already mentioned everything. Would there be anything to add to that? Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm leaving it as it is. So, what nice and decisive. Here? Nope. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here is here's the timeline because when I was going through this, <laughs> so the the nation of Minethrin was established in 209 AB, and the date of fragmentation is listed as 1200 AB. And AB is after the breaking. So mm-hmm. they're around as a nation for just a little under a thousand years. And then I wrote in her notes, but I still don't understand the time system here. So how far back does this go from the time that we start in Emmons Field? Like, I just wanted to know. I don't, as a historian, time mm-hmm. chunks are important. And when I feel so confused when I'm going through this, I'm like, what, but what's the time difference? How do I understand this time system? And then I just don't put in the effort to learn it. And I should probably do that (laughs) because I don't. (laughs) Well, we did the math for you. Yay! (laughs) So first age, they don't really have any information on what happened then. We can't really say how long it lasted. And Mm -hmm. then there's the age of legends. And that's like circa 100 years then there's the breaking. Mm-hmm. And so after the breaking, like, it starts at zero. Like, we get a new zero timeline. AB. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. AB after the breaking. And then Manetheran is around 209 after the breaking, AB. Then we get the Trolloc Wars, which was when Manetheran meets its end. 
Mm-hmm. So if you keep doing the math and keep going further on, blah, 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 right around mm-hmm. the time that we get to Eye of the World, the answer is close to about 3,000 years. So okay. if we talk about when Manetherin is founded to, you know, like two rivers, Eye of the World time. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> when I was doing this math, I was like, 3,000 years, huh? Like. Right. That's a really long time. And I had to think about what that would mean in our own time. So that would Mm -hmm. be around like 900 BC. Mm -hmm. And then I had to think, well, what the hell was happening that far back that, you know, anyone could possibly talk about? And that's like, I think like the late Bronze Age. And around the same time, Homer wrote the Iliad. Mm -hmm. So... If you're thinking about like, oh, like maybe you had to read the Iliad in school or at least like a section of it, Mm -hmm. this is from the same amount of time as what like people in Eye of the World knew about Manetherin. Mm -hmm. So that's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It also explains why in like the histories and stuff, why there's such a small amount of data to like pull in to learn more because... 3,000 years is a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even in places like in our, in the real world, like Egyptian stuff, I'm pretty sure like the Egyptian am- empire lasted for at least 5,000 years or so. So, I mean, we do have examples here of like really lengthy histories and like the Roman mm-hmm. empire and whatever, like thousands of years, but it just like, but what do we really know about exactly. those times besides what people have pulled up out of, like... Exactly. The ground. Yeah. More often than not. Or really dusty libraries and... Yeah. Uh, what is it? Hieroglyphics. <sighs> yeah, but I'm thinking <laughs> monasteries. Monasteries oh, had yeah. great libraries. Like, I won't get into it. Um <laughs> 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 we could be here for a while. I'm totally a brown. I'm totally a brown, and I admit it 100%. Um, reading over this made my heart really happy. I thought this was a really great notation about, like, the time span on it because it's something in the series that has always kind of, like... that's You're right, though, because it's really hard to put a finger on. Like, when you're reading it, you're like, oh, well, this happened in the time of Arthur Hawkwing, and you're like, okay... What does that even mean? Yeah, Who is right. this guy? Was that, Why are was we that talking like about him? 300 years ago? You know, no, like no, longer, much longer. longer. <laughs> Keep thinking back. Like, yeah, I don't know. It is. It's interesting. I just I sometimes feel as though that time span could be so much smaller and it would make a little bit more sense. But maybe but no, he, I we mean, get I'm, histories, giant histories in this fake world. <laughs> Thank you, Robert Jordan. <laughs> So the next yeah. question is, yeah. how did this, you know, powerful, idyllic nation come to its end? And it's kind of sad. <laughs> it really is. It really is. And this is the part where, like, you should definitely listen to us, but then maybe go watch the Recapa video. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Westlands flourished as a peaceful society for over 800 years, but... Peace can't possibly last where the shadow is concerned. And in 1000 AB, 
uh, massive armies began to advance south to attack the humans living there. And this is the beginning of the Trolloc Wars, which was really helpful for me because I'm still that person that's like, what are the Trolloc Wars? And the collapse of any remaining marvels of the Second Age, which I also thought was interesting because like, like I said a little bit earlier, it feels as though they're kind of trying to get back to that. And now mm-hmm. any hope of that happening has been obliterated by the Trolloc Wars and what they're doing. So when we're talking about this fall of Minethrin, one of the main things that you have to think about is their military. And it was completely overextended. Mm-hmm. So Minethrin was known for sending sending aid to pretty much anyone who asked And it was kind of a, um, yeah, even though they're like this peaceful, idyllic nation, Mm -hmm. they were still like a force to be reckoned with. So when you think of the Trolloc Wars. Elite fighters. Yeah. When you think of the Trolloc Wars, like, who do you call? You call Minethrin. You call the people with like the badass (laughs) army, (laughs) right? Is that Who are you going to call? I was going to say, is that the next (laughs) t-shirt? You're gonna call Minethrin. <laughs> Band of the Red Hand. Either one would work really well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I the idea of an overextended military, that is something that like hit them hard. Um and we mentioned Aridol earlier, and this is where Aridol as a nation comes into play. And it's a little it's a little confusing, but I'm just gonna try to kind of like sum it up. Yeah, we talked about it in the Elida episode as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, the King of Aridal is currently in the thrall of a bad counselor who we know as Mordeth. And so, the King of Minethrin is concerned that Aridal is going to step away from what is happening because they're, they feel as though they are utterly losing this battle to the shadow so he sends his son uh prince car althorin i will not do the rest of his name just know it's <laughs> he is the prince at the time he will later become the father of aemon who will be the king in the rest of our story car althorin 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 that wasn't that bad i could have just gone on and finished it um so he is sent, but then the king of Aridol is persuaded by his evil counselor. I think Javar, you know, yeah. like with the staff <laughs> and everything, yeah. like, do this mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Evil, you know, that's what I think. Um, I just kind of spit all over myself. This is our that. second Disney reference in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, anyway. They just have, they have stuff you can relate to. Almost everybody's seen it. Yeah. Anyway, so King of Aridal, he goes ahead and kills everybody in this delegation that comes from the King of Minethrin. And the only person he keeps alive is the prince, who is able to escape later on, but not after he's been tortured by whoever is the torturer of Aridal. I don't know. It doesn't <laughs> say who did the torturing. So someone, someone tortured this poor guy. He goes back. And then King Thorin of Minethrin, he, of course, cannot, like, just sit by and allow this to be okay. So he and a bunch of soldiers get together. They ride to Aridol expecting a battle. And instead, everyone is 
gone. Like, everyone has disappeared. The city is empty, but they, it's like... Like the, like the Jamestown question. Yes. Like that, that missing yes. settlement. Croatoa! Is that what it is? Did <laughs> yes. I say it right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's all that watching of America, American Horror Story. Um, anyway, this is the moment that we get Shadar Lagoth, which, of course, for those of us who have been through the series... This name is very familiar, and we will talk about it much more later on, but this is its beginning. And at this point, men shun the city and stay away from it, and everybody from Minethrin heads home, and that is that for Eridol and Shadar Lagoth until much later on. And then we are going to go a little bit forward in time here, and this is after... The prince uh, is dead, and the king of Manetheran have died. Then the throne passes to King Aemon mm-hmm. and his queen, Eldrine. Mm-hmm. And this second betrayal happens from the White Tower, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tetsuan was another key point in the fall of Manetheran. And at the time of the Trolloc Wars, Tetsuan was an Amarlin seat, formerly mm-hmm. of the Red Aja. What is it with these Red Aja women? I don't know. Who like, hurt them? <laughs> who hurt you? Right? Like, Probably dark friends. Um <laughs> I during, shouldn't laugh. I shouldn't laugh. <laughs> so during her time as a novice, the Amarlin Tetsuan became increasingly jealous of another young novice. Um, and this was the young queen, Eldrine. Uh-huh. Now, before Eldrine had shown up at the White Tower, who does this sound like, by the way? I, that's uh, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> who does this sound like? Another red sister. Mm-hmm. Um, Before Eldrine shows up, Tetsuan was kind of like the golden child. She was Mm -hmm. really strong and the one power. But Eldrine is much stronger and more beautiful. And now Tetsuan holds onto this like long seated animosity after Eldrine leaves the tower and marries the king of Manethrin. Mm-hmm. So when the Trolloc Wars are raging and King Aemon's forces are spread impossibly thin, the king sends out messengers to the White Tower and all other nations, anyone who would listen, mm-hmm. begging for help, begging, pleading. And what does Tetsuan the Amarlin do? Not only does she delay... She works against the other nations to delay them as well. Yep. So this, this moment changes everything. Mm-hmm. And even till this day, um, her name remi- is like remains something of a reminder or a curse within mm-hmm. the White Tower. Yep. So if you're a young novice, you get to learn about this bitch who led to the destruction of Manetheran. But yeah, she's, she's kind of an Elida, if you... Don't Absolutely. Mind me saying. <laughs> no, not at all. Like, especially like there's just so much that runs kind of parallel to Elida and in particular Moraine. Like, Elida is considered handsome and barely hits beautiful. And Moraine is always considered this like porcelain little doll and like really mm-hmm. dainty. And, you know, she's powerful and mm-hmm. noble and has got her shit together. And Elida's like, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> You're the yeah. worst. But I'm going to pretend like I'm trying to help you. 
helping mm-hmm. you by beating you. Sorry, okay. I just love. <laughs> I'm going to help you by beating you. Right? Um, what a woman. <laughs> <sighs> so let's talk a little bit about this Queen Eldrine and her warder king, Amon. I'm very so, excited about this. Yeah. It's story I, time on this one. And I know yeah. it ends, it's really sad, but I'm. Okay, go. I'm ready. Okay. Ready. <laughs> so what happens is King Amon brings his forces to the Battle of the Terangel River. And King Amon is this fierce battle commander. And when he realizes that the force of Shadowspawn armies are set up for a great victory, he's pleading with all the other nations, send help. Mm-hmm. But sadly, as Moraine puts it, ravens mm-hmm. blackened the sky, Trollocs blackened the land, and night... At night, their cook fires outnumbered the stars, and dawn revealed the banner of Baal Zaman at their head. So, yeah, uh, some bad stuff is about to happen. Really and bad. And these men are basically overwhelmed way, way more than I had even thought. Mm-hmm. So it was supposedly 10 to 1, and upon retreat – near the crossroads of what is now the North Road, the Old Road, and the Quarry Road, the battle at Amon's Field would take place. Mm-hmm. And do you like the name of that? Amon's Field? Uh-huh, yeah. Does that sound like anything? It, it's it's t- a tiny bit familiar. I, yeah. I feel like it, yeah. <laughs> the battle of Amon's Field. Mm-hmm. So Amon is killed, and Queen Eldrine feels him die within the warder bond. And then she basically goes supernova and channels an incredible amount of energy. I think it was Balefire, don't quote me on that, and kills mm-hmm. herself in like this massive burst of the one power. Yeah. And this essentially destroys everything within like a circumference of her, and Manetherin yeah. is gone. Yeah. In the. I, I took a minute to read over this this section in the book where Moraine is telling that story, and it mentions that there are also dreadlords in this battle, and when mm-hmm. she like pulls out all the stops for the one power, she kills all of them everywhere they would be, including in their war co- councils, and they all just like went up in flames. And I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you do that sooner? <laughs> Like if you knew how to do that, I mean, even if even if you just did it slightly and didn't burn yourself out in the process, like wouldn't that have been a little? I don't. Sorry, I have I have questions about that. About that, but regardless. well, you know, the storytelling can't be one hundred percent right. Okay, it's true. It's true. Right? Maybe I'm just being a little too picky. There, no, no, but it's a good question, and I mean, like. I think it's funny, like, we've got all of this, like, history going on on a series. Like, this this isn't even a part of the story. <laughs> no! No! We are just, you know, diving into the history today. Yep. I mean, until the spoiler section. And then we'll talk about, like, the descendants of Manetherin, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you put something here next. I don't know. It is noted on the wiki page oh, yeah, yeah. that... I thought this was really interesting. I feel like this is something that I should have known before reading this here. Okay, so this particular victory where... Because, I mean, at the end of this battle, Manetherin is 
the winner, air quotes, but this is what is known as a pyrrhic victory. And when I went to like go look what that is, it's a victory that inflicts such a devastating toll on the victor that is it is tantamount to defeat. And so Minethrin wins. They won but, the battle, but they lost the war. Exactly. Like now everyone is like scattered throughout the lands. We don't have a system of government in place any longer. Everything has to be rebuilt. Like the story says that there are just like fields of blood at this point because so many people and creatures and Trollocs and everything have died. So they have to pick their lives up again and figure shit out. Um and that's not going to be easy when you don't have, like, a leading support system to come in and be like, we can help you with this. We can help you with that. Mm-hmm. So they have to, like, find a way to band together and take care of themselves in the aftermath of this horrific battle. And so let's see here. Only five. So after this Trolloc War ends, only five of the ten nations remain standing Um, And it wasn't long before these nations also um, filed. (laughs) What does that even mean? But these (laughs) nations... (laughs) Do you ever realize that maybe you wrote something when someone was saying something to you and because it's spelled correctly, it just stays there? I don't know what I was trying to say. Anyway, so after the Trolloc Wars... These nations break down into more manageable, again, air quotes, states. And I like that it uses the word manageable because anyone who studies like American history, early American history, one of the fears of the founders was having such a large nation to cover that governance becomes unwieldy. And I happen to agree with this. <laughs> like... And I mean, we see it later on in nations in the Westlands where like the rulers only really rule their city and everything Mm -hmm. outside of it kind of like does its own thing. But if they were called to would like give their loyalty, not really their loyalty, but like they would admit that there would be a king or queen, but they would still feel as though they were their own Mm -hmm. power, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Yeah, I think that's that. And how does rule actually stay in effect? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Because I think, like, I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. Oh, go ahead. It's fine. Um, So Tanchico and Andor were the two countries that came to mind about, like, how how does rule actually stay in effect in the Westlands? And for Tanchico, like, that's the one that I just mentioned. And with Andor, you have them as the sovereign over the two rivers, but the two rivers is like, we don't... Who are you? <laughs> who are you again? I'm sorry. So, like, yeah. Phil on Andor? Anyway, that's that's that. That's so, after this devastating blow to Manetherin, there we do see repopulation start to happen. And one of the things that I think is really kind of... <laughs> I don't know why this keeps happening, but it feels kind of like another like Disney moment. <laughs> um, like the people loved this Queen Eldrine so much that it's almost something like a fairy tale. Yeah. And like every good fairy tale, there are places named af- after her legacy and her beauty 
And the one that I find the most tragic is the waterfall called Eldrine's Vale. Mm. And when you think of it, it's like a widow like covering their face with a veil after the death of her husband. Mm-hmm. And this water fail, water, water fail. <laughs> <laughs> This waterfall veils the mountainside (laughs) nearly nearly 500 feet. I don't know why that's so funny, but it It just is. (laughs) It went from me being like, can someone pass me the tissues to like uncontrollably laughing. Inappropriate. Inappropriate. It's okay. okay. And then another thing is the two rivers were founded on the wine spring. So Mm -hmm. we know the wine spring in... But the wine spring is actually like a guy, like a kind of like an underground geyser, sort mm-hmm. of. Mm-hmm. And when Queen Eldrine, you know, had her big burst of energy, the legends is that it split the groundwater like up through the surface, and the spring emerged. So she's, you know, like she's a legend, and so many of these people felt a connection to the legend and to this woman that they were willing to like move back and start rebuilding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think that that like really descends into where we pick up at the beginning of the series and what Minethrin's descendants have become really. Mm-hmm. Um, so do we want to like take a break and then talk about like the buildup of the two rivers and like, what happens there and spoiler absolutely spoilers ahead okay (laughs) i love spoiler section okay um yep Mm -hmm. why do i feel like i don't know what i'm doing yeah call me (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) we hi (laughs) welcome back we are going to be jumping into spoiler sections Ahoy! Ahoy! Spoilers! Um, that was more British than pirate and terrible either way. <laughs> either way you looked at it, so whatever. Um, so I kind of just wrote some things down, like when I was thinking about this topic, because some free fl- free yeah, flowing thoughts. It's a stream of conscious writing. Uh, so Minethrin may have suffered. A brutal defeat despite its valiant attempts to stand strong. And it is the descendants of those men and women who play key roles throughout the Wheel of Time series. Of course, there's Rand and Matt and Perrin, but let's not undervalue Nynaeve, Aguin, Tamal Thor, the Luhan, the Luhans, <laughs> and the other, <laughs> I can speak, and the other people who were always willing to pick their lives up out of the rubble. Bye, Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> he's Tiny a tornado. He is a tornado of a human being. Um, okay, so we have Nynaeve, Aguin, Tamil Thor, the Luhans, and the other people who were always willing to pick their lives up out of the rubble and rebuild. These people, farmers, craftspeople, with no real violence in their lives, but when it came to defending what they loved, their village, and later the world, they were nothing short of magnificent. There are many threads that trail down from Minethrin to the day we meet Rand and Tam walking along the Westwood Road and all the way to the last battle. And since this series begins each new book with the reminder that there are neither beginnings or endings, we can rest assured that those threads continue to shape the pattern that became the Fourth Age. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. That's what I read. So what stands out to me about that is just 
I think you had brought it up to me the other night how, especially with during the Battle of Emmons Field, mm-hmm. and we had talked about this on the Battles episode with the Black Tower guys and with Rob from Malkir Talks, <laughs> immediately after the two rivers have been completely like decimated from this trollic invasion, mm-hmm. they don't even stop. They're just like, well, time to start rebuilding. Yep. And that's kind of, you know, like it's just ingrained in these people. And I also feel like this is something that you would kind of see commonly in areas that are a little bit less populated Mm -hmm. so the two rivers isn't this giant place it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a sleepy little town Mm -hmm. and i'm just thinking of people that i know my grandparents had a place in tennessee and it's not really inside real city limits anywhere Mm -hmm. it's in kind of like the hills but you know if someone's boat isn't working or someone's front door isn't locking like it's almost like <laughs> like the wind shifts and then just one of your neighbors shows up and was like, oh, here, let me start tinkering around yeah. with a hammer and yeah. always showing up to help and fix things. Yeah. And I really like that aspect of the two rivers, how mm-hmm. it feels so um, connected. Mm-hmm. And self-reliant because yeah. we, we find through the series that – the Two Rivers is actually part of Andor as a kingdom. And they're like, Andor who? We have a queen? I'm sorry. They like they don't even know. Like, this is how distant they are from the things around them. And Isn't more gays even like, when are you going to start paying your taxes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, like, like Elaine has to make a deal with Perrin when she decides to make him a lord, like an official lord of the Two Rivers. And, I mean, the Two Rivers is still a wealth of products at this time. Yes. So, of course, Andor, Andor wants to be able to, like, dip its hands into that a little bit, too. So mm-hmm. it makes sense that they would have to come to that agreement. But for the longest time, like, it's just, it's like the sleepy little village up in the mountains and surrounded by rivers and... Like Heidi. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly like Heidi. Um, So, like, the, the main exports from this area of the world is their wool and tobacco and... The tobacco is like sought worldwide, like from coast to coast and even up into the Isle Waste. They're like, do you happen to have any of that magical tobacco from the two rivers? Like, is this kind of like the. (sighs) I totally get that. You can totally tell Robert Jordan was American. Like, I feel like (laughs) I feel like how I mean, how how important was tobacco Mm -hmm. for the United States is like mm-hmm. an emerging young nation. <laughs> yeah. And like the place where he lived, like if I'm not mistaken, he's a South Carolina. Yeah. Res- like born and raised. So of course he's going to be like in the areas where tobacco and rice and cotton were like the main cash crops. So it makes sense that he would turn to this. I don't know if he was thinking about it possibly having thc properties do you know what i mean like yeah that's always the joke like you got any of that two rivers to back but yeah no i think that's hilarious right <laughs> um and there's also like the sensation that time has kind of passed over 
this little area. Like it's, it's stuck in time in a way. There's this, I don't know, like I, it's almost yeah. like fairy tale village, but not at the same time. I don't know. Well, yeah, you kind of get the feeling that the outside world sees these people as kind of ignorant, maybe. Definitely. <laughs> like when they get to Barillon, they're like, wow, well, I've never seen such a majestic city before. <laughs> and Moraine is probably like rolling her eyes at Leon, like, Jesus. These guys. <laughs> well, and I mean, Min is probably the one who, like, tosses out the most insults on their, like, farming backgrounds and not being from a city. And I think that that's, I always think that that's really funny. So it is common enough that this perception of them not quite being as smart, I guess, I don't know, as worldly as people who live in more cosmopolitan areas, there are definitely derogatory comments and remarks that go towards Matt Perrin and Rand in particular as they're like traveling from the two rivers up into Barillon and then Camelin and whatever. And Sheep Herder is one of the ones that always comes to mind for me because it seems to get tossed around constantly. And I think this one might be Lan's favorite too. But in A Memory of Light, <laughs> Lan is at this point where it's time to like turn around and fight again after just coming back from the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And the the person that he's about ready to take off with is like, you're you're ready to go just like this? And he's like, what am I? Lan asked, swinging into the saddle. Some sheep herder from a forgotten village? I will do my duty. If men are foolish enough to put me in charge of them, I'll send them about theirs as well. <laughs> it's just, it's like... This makes me feel like Lan has a sense of humor that we don't get to see often Because, <laughs> I mean, he's saying this, and at the moment that he's saying this, the sheep herders that, I mean, to me, immediately come to mind that Lan might be referring to from a forgotten village right. are Rand, Matt, and Perrin, who are yeah. off doing the things that they need to do to participate and win the last battle so it feels like a dig and a compliment at the same time right right it's i don't know i thought that one was really funny it's almost how i feel like lan started sheep herder as an insult but it kind of turned into a term of endearment yes yes because he was always like saying that too the three boys from Emmons Field, especially at the beginning, it was almost like he didn't want to get attached to them. So he didn't really call them by their names. He just grouped them together as these sheep herders. And of yeah. course, they're all three Taverian, Tav, Taviran, Taviran. They're all three Taviran. In my head, I say it one way, and now I know I'm supposed to say it the <laughs> other way, and they conflict all the time. Um, and the Taviran, like, pull Lan in just as much as they do anyone else. And Lan, of mm-hmm. course, becomes this really fantastic instructor for Rand and blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm sure he thought, like, we're just going to dump them off where exactly. they need to go. I've done my duty. <laughs> but We've no. been doing this for 20 years already. Like, mm-hmm. I think maybe it's about time to just head back to the tower and hang out for a little while. You yeah. know? Like, he thinks that this is... 
I don't know. I don't know if Land sees this as like the end of the line necessarily, but I don't think he expected it to take the turn that it did. I don't think Moraine expected it to take the turn that it did. I'm sure either. he was just hoping that it was, you know, like the end of another chapter for him. He could yeah. focus on something else afterwards. Exactly. Maybe, you know, the last battle or what's going on with <laughs> Malkier. But yeah. But instead, little side note on this one. At this moment in the last battle, uh, Lan is being assisted by Asha men that are all from the borderlands. And Lan has this thought of, we all fight together. And I was just like, Lan, yes, we all fight together. You know, like, I just. <sighs> Isn't it interesting how many of the people from the two rivers were channelers? We were mm -hmm. talking about the old blood and how mm -hmm. it gets said a lot, like the old blood is deep and the two rivers or whatever yeah. the saying is. And like how many Ashaman did they find in the two rivers? How many mm. girls that could channel did Baron pick up in the two rivers? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I mean, I know that we're supposed to kind of think of the two rivers as being a little bit, you know, like isolated. Yeah. But I almost kind of feel like I, I just I don't know how I feel about it because they have to they had to trade and there had to have been outsiders like Rand's mother is not from the two rivers. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there had to have been a big enough like gene pool that these people aren't getting like genetic diseases <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can't all be inbred or something. So I kind of I. I don't know how I feel about it, like the genealogy and the genetics of channeling. Like I kind of like fight with myself over it. Yeah, I can see that. Or maybe it was just isolated enough that the community stayed to a smaller size, that it was still kind of, you know, stronger there than elsewhere, I guess. That I think that's. The perspective I've always taken on it is like, like it more... doesn't have to have like closed borders. <laughs> no, no, they're not. They're not completely. And I think there's like even. I mean, there's a little bit of travel in the two rivers, like sometimes, like especially in the beginning of the book where like Perrin or whoever is like, I've been all the way up to Terran Ferry. And like for people in MN's field, that's a. That's a big trip, you know? Yeah. But, so it does seem as though, like, the communities kind of overlap. I think there's something, like, the wisdoms all get together from time to time to discuss what's happening in their villages and whatnot. So I feel as though the Two Rivers itself is large enough to prevent inbreeding, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time still maintain that strength of the old blood because that is something that comes up over and over again is like Moraine seeing that the old blood runs mm -hmm. strong in Edmund's field and I'm sure other people have said it as well when we are talking about this I have to look through what I said to you the other night before I went to bed <laughs> we did have some good discussions it was funny <laughs> I mean not okay. that that's not normal for us but okay we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about the timeline again. Yeah. And you had said, or I had said, Manetherin is so weird. I always wondered if Robert Jordan was going to go somewhere else with it. Like yes. all this talk of the old blood and the blood being strong. So like 
besides these channelers, like what was the end game? I mean, what? (laughs) I almost feel like there should have or maybe could have been a different ending. Mm -hmm. Like it would it would play a bigger role somehow because it Mm -hmm. felt really important to the story because it keeps getting tossed out there so many times. Yeah. And the the whole part about these people claiming like we're Manetheran reborn, like how many times does Perrin try and throw away this fucking banner <laughs> and it just keeps coming back up mm-hmm. and it's it, <laughs> it makes me sympathize with Perrin because it's just, you know, like yep. it would be it would be like claiming allegiance to a country that died in 900 BC like chill out two rivers <laughs> do you know what I'm saying yeah yeah especially like like parents wolf banner goes up the red does the the banner of Manetheran is that when it starts coming up as well um yeah that happens right around they had it and he kept telling them to put it away but then when Masima comes into play as the prophet, mm-hmm. then he uses it to their advantage and was like, okay, well, we'll put up this banner and kind of like use it as a way to, I don't remember what the reasoning was behind it, but it had something to do with Masima. Mm-hmm. I think it just like was supposed to add an air of authority possibly for Perrin at that moment because weren't yeah. they like trying to like... But if it was, like, me personally and I saw someone, like, flying this banner around, I would be like, really, guys? Like, chill out. That's, like, I don't know. That's, like, people that are, like, my great, 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 great grandpa came from Poland, so I'm going to get the Polish flag tattooed on my chest. Yeah. Like, (laughs) chill. And, I mean, people do that. I think that that's actually something that... I mean, especially like I think of England in particular, where they're like, this is my lineage. And it goes all the way back through these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, and yeah, you're on an feel... island, yeah. dude. Like, where else was there to go? Mm-hmm. Across just... the border to Ireland? Like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, no. yeah, they're isolated as well. So I guess that's an actually really good. Um, yeah, a really good way to think about it. Yeah. But it also, it feels kind of like weirdly nationalistic. Yes. <laughs> you know? It really does. Because like, I went, I think I've said this like four times already. I went over and just like read that section of the book in Eye of the World where Moraine is telling the story about Manetheran. And it's like, remember the Alamo. <laughs> yes. And everybody's forgotten. Like, they're all like, we're the we're good two rivers folk like we've always been. And she's like, uh, I've got news for you guys. This is this is where you come from. This is what happened here. And you Mm -hmm. have completely forgotten about it. And in some ways, I feel as though Moraine almost like I find so much humor in this whole part because the story is epic that she's, you know, like 
she's like swinging her staff around. But what happens before that is like, is it the conjurers or the congers or the coplins? Uh huh. They're starting some shit. And yeah. there's, you know, things are about to go down. Mm-hmm. But I feel like she's just like, look at my spinning stick. <laughs> and they get so sidetracked in what she's saying, they forget about fighting. I can just see Moraine like rolling her eyes like idiots. <laughs> Dummies don't know your own history. God. Right. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this really crazy story and you're just going to forget what you were fighting about. Exactly. You're going to think that you are descended from really amazing people and you're yeah. going to thank me for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I like I that's actually one of my favorite parts in the beginning. So when we, I'm just going to skip past the woolhead thing to kind of like save time. Is that okay with you? Because yeah, I feel like sure. we've already moved past that. Um, so we have like our introduction to the two rivers and we, this has been mentioned a lot because the two rivers, like it's a big portion of the story and it's like the first place you are in the beginning of the series. Right. Um, I feel like you're kind of supposed to have this connection to it. Like, exactly. This is where your story starts. Yeah. And I mean, I can see where you said that, like, Emmons Field could have had a different ending. It would be really neat if, like, it were able to end where it started in a way. Like, mm. I don't well, know. It kind of, well, it kind of does in a sense of Perrin. Perrin has became, like, this great leader. And by the time he gets back to the two rivers things have really grown Mm -hmm. and there are people from all over Mm -hmm. moving there Mm -hmm. because it's you know like economically rich and there's place to live yeah and there were all those refugees coming over the mountains and into the two rivers and like setting up their businesses because so many of them had brought with them what they would need to be able to reestablish themselves and they just happened to like scatter through the two rivers and several of them end up in Emmons Field. And and I feel like that is really the only Disney ending that we get <laughs> to this book, <laughs> to this story, is that's kind of the one part where you're like, and everything lived happily ever after. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I mean, Maybe. because Perrin is at that point granted the authority that the two rivers people have already given him from the queen of andor so they now have like the oversight and benefit of the andoran crown and they get the leader that they wanted to have and so everything and the people are starting to learn how to live with each other instead of like being jealous and possessive of Mm -hmm. like what their positions are within the community so I agree with you. I feel like it's the one place where there's like hope springs eternal in the two rivers kind of yeah. thing, you know? Like yeah. they're always willing to rebuild. They're always ready for the next step. And I think I think I would want to be a two rivers folk, possibly. Not quite sure about the garb. It doesn't <laughs> not <Well> as is <laughs> itchy. <laughs> right. I don't think I'd be as fond of it as Nynaeve always is and her desire for her good two rivers woolen dresses. What the heck is up with that anyway? Regardless. <laughs> um so one of the things about Minethrin that we mentioned earlier is that it was known for always sending aid whenever aid was needed. Um mm-hmm. 
Let's see here. I kind of want to read over this real quick. Sorry. Okay, so this is where, like, my question from earlier kind of comes in. I didn't want to talk about it too much before because I was afraid of, like, being semi-spoilery. Mm -hmm. So when Minethrin goes in and they're fighting in this massive battle, it's an all-or-nothing war against the Shadow. And as far as we know, Baalzaman is said to be at the head of this army, so... Where is the dragon reborn for this battle? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, why didn't the pattern spin out another dragon reborn? Yeah. And I mean, maybe it did. And that individual just didn't know about it. Yeah, that individual <laughs> didn't make the same choices that like Rand later on makes. But I mean, this really feels like they talk about there being dreadlords and trollocs and it's 10 to 1. So where were... For Aemon's side, where were their channelers? Like, why weren't the Aes Sedai there to help? Did they have channelers and this we is, just don't know about it? This Am is I overthinking great, this? No, no. This is going to be great <laughs> leading up to our topic next week, which is the White Tower. Mm -hmm. um, but can we talk about how the yes. White Tower totally fucked shit up again yes. with their Amerlin, who was just like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and not answer the call and let Minethrin die. Yep. Over some petty shenanigans. <laughs> She's prettier than me. I right. don't like her. Like, so therefore, I'll let a whole nation die? Like, cool. Right. Don't you think after 100 years or so, maybe you'd outgrow being petty? Maybe not, apparently. Like, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Elida is... What's her name? Reborn. <laughs> <laughs> Tetsuan. Yeah. 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 Because that absolutely made me think of the Elaine Moraine Elida dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Like, man. I how do how do people like that end up getting in power? I just don't I just don't understand. Um uh, let's see here. Okay, so I had some thoughts on what the descendants of Minethrin end up doing in certain roles. And I hope I hope I put this together in a way that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little worried about like jumping all over the place and at the same time, whatever, it is what it is. Um so another point where the men of the two rivers prove to be wor worthy of their ancestors' legacy is when Perrin gets all the two of his bowmen to line up and shoot at the Trollocs that were coming in to take out the White Cloaks. And I mm -hmm. think that's in the Gathering Storm that that happens. I don't remember for sure. But, like, the two of his bowmen show up over and over again, especially towards the end of the book. And it's always, like, this moment of, ooh, check out what those mm -hmm. guys can do. Like, when Perrin lifts up his stick when he's talking to the mm -hmm. Shan and it's like riddled with arrows in a moment. Like, mm -hmm. it's just amazing. Or was it just one arrow? I don't remember. Regardless, they're, they live up, in my opinion, they live up to that spirit of constantly rebuilding, of pushing forward for the right causes. Um, did you write this Descendants of Greatness trope? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes i love it 
it's no, it's it's one of those things though, and I I'm not like hating on it. Mm-hmm. I I enjoy it. I just mm-hmm. think it's funny because how I mean how often now, and I'm sure like maybe maybe uh if it weren't for Robert Jordan it wouldn't be such a thing mm-hmm. but how many movies do you see where it's like our nation came from this and therefore mm-hmm. we shall go into battle because of this mm-hmm. and we are greatness and we are from greatness <laughs> and but every person from every place thinks that their place is better mm-hmm. so i mean yeah the the nationalism <laughs> is strong in this one yeah yeah um, that's kind of what it makes me think of uh also i just i want to do a shout out to this moment in a memory of light because i didn't get to say it in our last battle episode and i'm sure there are a thousand things i didn't get to say in that episode but when tam shoots in our line you mean our no our six month uh a memory of light recap that one our last episode was was with call me nakomi about taviran Sorry, when we record like two weeks apart from something, everything always just slides together. Um, but Tam like sees Lan about ready to take off and take out Demon Dread, and he mm-hmm. sees that Lan's gonna be attacked by Trollocs. And so Tam is like, hand me a bow and some arrows and set them on fire. And he just like <laughs> shoot after shoot makes this like line of light for Lan to follow to get to Demon Dread. And I mean, oh, seriously. Oh god. That is so badass. I that just, is so badass. I just about cried at that moment because holy fuck, what a moment. Like, like I love Lan, but I also really love Tam. Right? Like, he's just, I mean, he's caring and he's kind and he's a total badass. Mm-hmm. Like, He's wise. He's right? Yeah. I kind of love him more than just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. So we had mentioned Airedal earlier as well. They basically were the nation that betrayed Minethrin, that kind of contributed to the downfall of Minethrin and the other nations that fell. And that becomes Shadar Lagoth. And I think it's I think it's really interesting how this is the nation that betrayed Minethrin. And then Rand and Matt both end up having this connection to this location that is almost I don't want to say retaliatory or is that where Rand and the other Forsaken cross Balefire and that's when the weirdness starts happening Mm -hmm. where he's like accidentally uh, sourcing the true power Mm -hmm. through Morden yeah yeah Yeah, because they like bounced don't cross Mm -hmm. the streams too late too late (laughs) Uh, Ghostbusters we're doing Disney and Ghostbusters today (laughs) apparently those are our themes so Minethrin stands against the shadow and the betrayal of Aerodol and this is one of those things with like the the prophecy. It looks like you wrote it in here. He will be of the ancient blood and raised by the old blood. And I just find like I find that part of it really interesting because again, memory of light. Rand says what separates him from what had happened before is the way he was raised. Like mm-hmm. deep down inside, Rand is still the sheep herder who would like protect his flock and look out for the needs of the people around him and 
Luz Theron, I have a feeling after 400 years, was probably more than just a little jaded and overconfident of what he could and could not do. And oh, Rand, for sure. Yeah, Rand doesn't necessarily... Like, Look he- at how many of the Forsaken that are just purely like joining the side <laughs> of the Dark One because <laughs> Luz Theron has like, fucked them over in some way mm-hmm. or they were just jealous or... Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like his advancements were just a little bit above their own and they mm-hmm. like just became really petty and jealous around it. So mm-hmm. I think that that is... Uh, I, I like that part. <laughs> the Forsaken did nothing wrong. Luz Theron was a dick. <laughs> no. He might have Can been. you imagine if, yeah, can you imagine if it turned out that, like, Luz Theron was actually awful? Right. And, I mean, who's to say he wasn't? Yeah. I mean. So the victors go the side spoils, of history. Yeah. So. Spoils of war. I love that. So let's see here. Okay, so. I think the connection between Manetherin and the Emmonsfield Five, as they're frequently referred to, and is easier to say than listing out all of their <laughs> names. Mm-hmm. I love how each one of them is instrumental in every part of the series. Like all of the things that a queen goes through to become the Amarillin, to then stand as she does at the last battle. She's from the blood of Manetherin. Nynaeve, in all of her incredible abilities and talents and determination and her tender, tender heart, like, she is descended from Manetherin. Like, they are Zen all... Bui, all the things that he has done. <laughs> the blood of Manetherin. <laughs> and he's the oldest, so he even has the strongest blood. <laughs> I love that you picked Zen Bui. <laughs> Go with that the your old roof. blood runs strong with these and buoy. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Let's see here. Did you write this? The what was the point of the Manetherin old blood? Mm, I might have and put it in there in the wrong spot, but um, I already talked about it. Just kind of like what was the end game there? Mm, and I okay. think it's yeah, Perrin. Uplifting, happy, rebuilding. The city is thriving. Hurrah. Hurrah. Lots of fun theme songs. Mm-hmm. Maybe Disney inspired. Um, <laughs> so back to Aridol. This is where I'm afraid I'm like, I'm like jumping all over the place. But I just think that the connections. I love having completed the series, seeing all the little places where things are put to come out into a massive ending. So the pr- physical presence of Mashadar, which is that evil mist that like runs through mm-hmm. Shadar Lagoth and its connection to Matt. And then also that connection to the last battle, like that starts way back at the fall of Manetherin. So yeah. there's this, and then there's a descendant of Manetherin who then kills the evil that was more death, Mashadar, Seismus something or another? Siasma, that's what it was, that, like, random yeah, extra he got, name. he got revenge. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's like, you guys fucked us over, we took care of it in the end, you know? Yeah. It only took 3,000 Three, th- years. 3,000 years, exactly. but we're gonna get you. <laughs> what are they, the Hatfields and the McCoys? <laughs> <laughs> 
ding, 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 ding. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I can think of when I hear those names. Dueling banjos and dueling idiots. Okay. Um, <laughs> so the role of the two the, the two rivers men, men at key moments in the series, they are descendants of people who are legendary as the thorn in the dark one's side, dark one's foot in his hand i don't know anywhere that the dark one potentially has a tender spot <laughs> thorns <laughs> thorns for you and thorns for you um yeah and then shadar lagoth is also the place where Rand chooses to set up his location when he does the cleansing of sadine so again here's another not necessarily descendant in the way that like Matt and Perrin and Aguin and Nynaeve are, but raised by the old blood mm-hmm. coming in here and taking the evil that's there, the evil from the taint and obliterating it. Like it becomes mm-hmm. this giant crater. So just these connections that go back and forth between Manethrin and the people that come from Emmonsfield and the nation that betrayed it. I hadn't put any of that together until I started reading this. And I thought that was a really kind of cool connection. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. With, with, um, with Manethrin and Arid Hall, it really, it really does feel like there had to be some kind of karmic, um, (laughs) like retribution, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it goes all the way back to that prince being tortured you know, and like the feeling yeah. that uh, King, not King Amon. Amon. Oh. Yeah, but it was ball, his ball, what, ball, ball something. something. Yeah, <laughs> which was actually something that I noticed. So, Althorin, could that have been shortened up to Althor? Right. And right. then, like, when Moraine is about to get kicked out by the people of. At Mensfield, one of the people in that moment is Payette Alcar. So again, a name of a descendant. Hadn't really ever paid attention to that before. So seeing that those names have lasted for that long, I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of fascinating because how often does that happen? And it really kind of pushes that idea of is- isolation and just all being kind of interconnected. And, and maybe... just the slight change on the pronunciation mm-hmm. as well. I mean... How many people, like, how 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 often does it happen that people will immigrate or something and mm-hmm. the name changes slightly, exactly. the spelling or mm-hmm. the way that they pronounce it? So Yeah, yep. That was one of the, I thought that was kind of neat because I hadn't, I hadn't made that connection in the past. I don't know if I had anything else on Shadar Lagoth or Aerodol. Do you have anything? And nope. I know I totally went off track by like oh the other thing do you like my sticky notes <laughs> so the other thing that i was thinking of is if althorin comes down to althor and then rand goes to feldara where he is presumed to be a lord because his last name is althor he potentially actually does have royal blood because of that althorin connection so maybe they were right <laughs> have some fancy clothes descended yeah, maybe. of people 3000 years ago who could yeah, possibly they could. be royal oh that's too funny like they were thinking maybe he's the descendant of Althorin, but 
he's adopted. <laughs> so he, they just got the wrong royal line. Yeah. Like he, yeah. He still deserves Oops. it, but you know, yeah. whatever. I just, I thought, I, like I said, I never That's made that hilarious. connection before. And here we are. I think, like, when I ended this one yesterday, but I think you were the one that had first mentioned it to me was the comparisons that are made between Aguine and El- Eldrine, right? Yeah. I've seen it before online, and I, like, I I could go both ways on it. I think I lean slightly more towards, like, this is foreshadowing mm, of Egwene. Mm-hmm. Like, this is what happens when your water bond is cut with your water dying. Yeah. Like, this is what happens. I actually... And Keep talking. Sorry. <laughs> and she, you know, she goes nuclear. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she was just trying to, like, have, like, such a strong burst of bail fire that maybe it could bring him back. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know what her reasoning Ooh, was. But, what a thought. Right? Yeah. I'll have to look it back. Look that back up. I don't remember if it was bail fire or not, but I feel like it was. Well, I have the I have the section. And if you don't mind it. Let me just see if it's not. Yeah, if you can, there if, we you go. Can, if you see it on there, yeah, let me know. In the in the book, it says, "In the mountains of mist, alone in the emptied city of Minetherin, Eldrine felt Aemon die, and her heart died with him. And where her heart had been was left only a thirst for vengeance, vengeance for her love, vengeance for her people and her land. Driven by grief, she reached out to the true source and hurled the one power at the Trolloc army." And there the dreadlords died wherever they stood, whether in their te- whether in their secret councils or exhorting their soldiers. In the passing of a breath, the dreadlords and the generals of the Dark One's host burst into flame. Fire consumed their bodies and terror consumed their just victorious army. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just picture, like, I picture, like, where it's really fire mm-hmm. and it's, like, x-ray. You can just see their skulls. <laughs> Like in Mars Attacks. Yes. When they get yes, shot by exactly the razor. Exactly like that. Exactly <laughs> like that. Sorry, Aiden and I have, for some odd reason, started talking about Mars Attacks, and now we're trying to, like, figure out how we can watch it, because that movie is so damn funny. Um, but then it says for Eldrine, and this is where I feel like it connects most to Aguine, and I agree with the foreshadowing, is, but the price was high for Minethrin. Eldrine had drawn to herself more of the one power than any human could ever hope to wield unaided. As the enemy generals died, so did she. So did she die. And the fires that consumed her consumed the empty city of Minethrin, even the stones of it, down to the living rock of the mountains. Yet the people had been saved. So, ta-da! Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it is it is really similar to Egwene being like, "Wow, losing losing Gawain sucks. That's pretty awful." And I loved him, and now I'm. Mm-hmm. What I thought was really funny about that was like how quickly she bonded uh, Lelwyn, and like I feel I feel like it was just a necessity. She mm-hmm. was like, "I don't even like you, but I just need you to, some need you to fill this void right now, so yeah. I can get on with this fight." Yeah. I, I and I think I think it was probably a good thing that she did that actually. Yeah, and she had the forethought to like let her go mm-hmm. before. Like she knew, she knew right before she yeah. did what she was going to do that this was going to be the end of her. And yeah. the way that it's written in A Memory of Light is actually one of the most beautiful and peaceful deaths, oddly, that I think mm-hmm. happens in the series. Like, 
I'm getting more sad right now talking about it than when I read it. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but I understand. I was definitely like reading that part. I was just like, oh, God, a queen. Yeah. I think it's just – I think I think for the most part that there's so much going on in those chapters of mm-hmm. The Last Battle – like, it was hard for me to even stop for a moment to think about it, where I was like, I got to keep going. What's happening? Yes, yes. I was in exactly the same spot. I think the only reason I really paused at that moment was because I knew Aguin's death was coming. Like, that was one of my big spoilers for myself. And so, like, I knew, I knew when she was about to step into that moment that that was You're going like, to be. Here it comes. I was like, okay, yeah. it's time to say goodbye. Are we ready? Are we ready? Right. And that's, I mean, that too, that's something that I didn't mention when we were talking about it on that episode, how I said, I was kind of just like, meh. Well, if you listen to our podcast, you will know that this is something that I spoiled myself with off the bat. Yeah. So it wasn't just like, I hate Egwene. I don't care that she dies. <laughs> I knew that she was going to die from yep. the beginning. So uh-huh. when it happened, it kind of diminished it. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I definitely, like, when I spoiled it for myself, I definitely ended up sitting and crying. Like, it, like, it, like, <laughs> felt like somebody had kicked me. It just wasn't expected. And I was like, mm-hmm. but, but, Egwene, she's just mm-hmm. a child. I'm, Although I have to say our discussion about her when we were talking about her in our recap of A Memory of Light after I read it, where we're like, why doesn't she just get to be like a girl for a little while? Like, why can't she just go ride (laughs) horses with her friends? I laughed so hard at that. Like, (sighs) she deserves it. She deserves it. That girl, she worked so hard. Uh, Anyway. Before we finish, there is something that I want to talk Ooh, about. Do it, do it. Um, so last week with the Call Me Nakomi episode, we were talking about Matt speaking the old tongue. Mm-hmm. And I think I mentioned how it almost felt like a dropped plot line. Mm. So I went back and looked into it. Mm-hmm. And um, so here's what I found. There is a Q&A out there somewhere in the backwaters of the internet where Brandon Sanderson <laughs> did kind of a Q&A and people are asking him about Matt speaking the old tongue, whether it's possibly tied to his bloodline, like if he is from, if if this came from his blood, yeah. or he could be the descendant, or he could be Eamon reborn. Ooh, so, I have never heard that. So yeah, and he, he doesn't give a you know, confirmation yes or no, but he's like, well, it could be the case. Um, And personally, I really, really like this because it's coming back to, we were just talking about, is Egwene maybe Eldrine reborn? Um, Is Matt maybe Eamon reborn? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the band of the Red Hand is his army and he's commanding them. And these are, he's saying like, raise my banners. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there is also in The Dragon Reborn, mm. when Matt wakes up in the White Tower, he has some very crazy dreams. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to open this up, but um, he's basically recounting this battle of the Terangel River. Mm. And he's saying, you know, the packed lines of spearmen stretched a mile long and he called his archers back, but the dreadlords did not care. 
um, his heart guard awaited his command. The heart guard Mm -hmm. was the guard that was fighting for the king of Menethrin. So if he's calling it his heart guard, like, is he seeing the memories of King Aemon himself? Interesting. So that's crazy. And this is before he gets to the film. So this is not memories that they had placed in his mind. It's one that was already there. Yeah. And he's saying, uh, we must win or die here. He was known as a gambler. It was time to toss the dice, which is, I think, maybe the first, one of the first times we hear it. Yeah. Um, so, again, he's, you know, he's hearing in his head for the, uh, red, for the honor of the Red Eagle. And he's talking about his heart guard and win or die, Menethrin. And <laughs> then he just kind of shakes it off as he's not even speaking or thinking in the old tongue. He's just mumbling and talking gibberish and it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean anything. And he's pushing it out of his head. But I really think that this could be a really great, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, a really great piece to pull from. And the more that I think about it, the more I like it. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. You're mentioning it. I'm like, yeah. That totally makes sense. I can see that 100%. Dang. I mean, he's recounting this battle Mm -hmm. that Eamon dies in afterwards. And wouldn't it make sense for the pattern to push out someone who fought so strongly against the shadow to be a Taviran along with the dragon reborn? Like, that, that feels like something the pattern would intentionally try to work in if it could. Yeah. So, That's such yeah, a cool he, theory. He's waking up from his dagger sickness. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Maybe maybe this connection to Arid Hall is like, and the dagger is what, like, forced Ooh. this. You know what I mean? Ooh. Like, forced these things to happen. Maybe. Because, I mean, maybe Matt's it, like, the one that something then, up. Yeah, Matt's the one who, like, takes out Mashadar, which was basically the evil influence that turned Eridol against Manethrin. Right, so if he is Aemon reborn, <laughs> wouldn't it be the just desserts that the descendant of... So it was Aemon's relative that was betrayed by Eridol. Mm-hmm. So it'd be like Aemon coming back from his grave and being like, suck on this. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I, and then, I like it. And then the only other thing after I started thinking about this and that I was like, oh shit, does that mean Tuan is Eldrine <laughs> reborn? <laughs> like, I hope not. <laughs> oh man. Dang. I'm trying to think of how I could make that fit in the pro, like how how that would work. Like she would have to be. Well, she is a channeler. Mm-hmm. She can channel. She has potential to channel. Mm-hmm. Can and you nothing- imagine? And like in the fourth age, she gets dragged to the tower, <laughs> <laughs> becomes Amerlin. Doesn't she say that Tarvalin will become her city? She Ooh. wants to make it her city. She could become the Amerlin and make it her city. And the Empress, the Amerlin Empress, may she live oh, forever. God, wow, that would be horrible. I don't really want to think about that happening. <laughs> because you know she would still want to call her everybody you know oh yeah she'd walk secretly in the back yeah she'd walk (laughs) around with her favorite isodized slash domine god that'd be awful okay 
It's terrible. Mm. I love this theory, though. I love this theory. I think it actually has a lot of stuff that makes it feel like it could really be possible. There's a lot of potential there, Mm -hmm. I think. I love it. Um, And then as far as, like, TV stuff for this, if I remember correctly, wasn't uh, the Wine Spring Inn, wasn't that one of the first images in, like, Emmons Field that, like, came out? I believe it it was kind of like a little video short. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was one of the f- first things I think. Yeah. So we did, which I mean, that makes sense. Like that's where our story begins. Mm-hmm. So they're giving us like a nice little set uh, shot of mm-hmm. it and it's gorgeous. Yeah. So, I can't wait yay. to like actually see it. I love yeah. all the thatched roofs. Zen Bowie's a busy guy. <laughs> yep. Zen Bowie. <laughs> the blood runs. <laughs> so good zen Bowie, you'll live forever possibly who knows man that guy i i don't really know if i have anything else to add should I hope... we leave it on that i zen think Bui? so zen Bui. may he live forever i don't know <laughs> <laughs> okay that, that's it yep well thanks so much for joining us we will continue to release new episodes every wednesday we would love if you subscribe to the podcast leave us reviews and share us with your friends in the wheel of time community let us know what you thought of our content correct us send us things we may have missed and rob it is always okay for you to do that we love you um that that feels appropriate right yeah yeah (laughs) you can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes and if you have the anchor app leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes we also have a discord channel just find us on any of our social media platforms and we can send you an invite and before we move on to saying goodbye next week we're talking about the white tower right yes yeah there's some things i need to get off my chest yeah this isn't going to be like a glorifying (laughs) the white tower episode this is going to be counting out the ineptitudes of the white tower so this is going to be i almost feel like we need to invite water and shade for this one but (laughs) we'll somehow manage on our own anyway that's it so until next week thanks for joining us on the road to tarvalon